0: There's a word that I came across this, actually several weeks ago, and when I was putting it into my notes for the message, the word, our spell check kept saying this word doesn't exist, but it does. It's a wonderful word. It's a word that you probably haven't heard before, but I thought, this is just great, because it describes so much of what we do as people. The word I came across was this, miswanting. wanting And as I was thinking about it, in fact, when I read the the book that this was found in, I thought, that is is significant. That so often as people, we mis-want. We think we want one thing, but in reality, there's something else which is much better for us. The word came out of a study, you can find the study in a book called Flow, I've never read that one, but that work is quoted in another book called The Glass Cage. And it was a study done by two psychologists that gathered a group of people together, actually a hundred people, and this will date the study a little bit, they gave them beepers. And throughout the day, seven times each day on random times, they would beep the beeper. And the people were responsible when the beeper went off to record a couple of things. They were supposed to record what activity are you doing when the beeper goes off? What challenges are you facing? What skills as a person were you deploying? And what psychological state were you in at the time of doing this? They indicated it by your motivation, your level of satisfaction, your level of engagement, your level of creativity, your level of happiness and and a sense of fulfillment. Other things like that. And what they found out was so amazing. You see, most people, if you ask them, when is the time... You're most fulfilled, most happy. They would say, when I'm away from work. But what they discovered is that people felt happier, more fulfilled, more engaged when they were at work than any other time. You see, when they were at work, though, what they wanted was to be away. But when they were away and they asked them, often they, when they asked them what they were experiencing, they used words like boredom, emptiness, loneliness. And when they were away from work, the last thing they wanted to do was to go back to work. And the idea is that somehow what we want is just complete leisure. Leisure. That what we want is to not have to really do anything. But yet what's very, very clear is when we want that, we are miswanting. And where we really feel a sense of wholeness and fulfillment is when we're at a task that we believe is meaningful and purposeful. Now that's the reason why some are workaholics. But the reality of it is, so often we miss want. That's not just true about work, it's true about many areas of our lives. And spiritually, I think it's true about the passage that we look at this morning, and it reveals in us a miswanting about God. In fact, the whole book of Isaiah puts before us what we in our creatureliness, we in our humanity, we in our fallenness, and our bent away from God, we often want something that we believe will bring fulfillment, and we tend to push away that which is also just as important and significant. Now, as we began looking at the book of Isaiah, we said the basic theme of Isaiah is this. God's holy... I ain't. I didn't put that on the slide because of the poor grammar. And we need to deal with it. Now as we look at that statement, the part that we're pretty sure of is that we're not holy. But the part that we struggle with is that God is. And the fact is, we don't like a holy God. We don't want a holy God. We don't want what it means to be in a relationship, to be submissive, to be under the authority and the sovereignty of a holy God. And so as a result, we miswant. As we've been working through this series, we've said that Isaiah is in the process of doing this. He's revealing that God is in the process of creating a trusting, obedient people willing to submit the outcome of their choices and lives to God's wisdom and sovereignty. And as Isaiah does that, he does that on a macro level. He does that on a massive level as he looks at the people of God, the nation of Israel in its divided form, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And he's saying God is involved with this people, with these chosen people to bring about a people that represents his holiness. But Isaiah also reveals that not only is it a process where God deals on the macro, God also deals in the micro. Because not only does he want us to be a church, a people that are about this, he wants me to be a person that is about this. That's why we took the book of Isaiah a little bit out of order of how it is written and we jumped right into Isaiah chapter 6 as the first part of the message of Isaiah. And the reason is because Isaiah is saying, we are messed up. But before Isaiah can address the problem in others, God says, I need to deal with that situation in you. And so in Isaiah chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Isaiah lays out, this is the mess we're in. But chronologically, he began with Isaiah by saying, first I want to deal with you before you can speak to others. And so we take the events Chronologically. And we say, God comes to Isaiah and says to Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to know something. I want you to know that I'm holy. Isaiah, I want you to know that you're not. And Isaiah, I want to talk about the process of dealing with that. And last week, we said that process is repentance. It begins with an exposure That we are exposed both to the greatness of God and the insufficiency and adequacy of myself. And sometimes the order is God first, us second. Sometimes it's us first, God second in terms of what he reveals. But in that process of exposure, there is a realization that I am inadequate. I am insufficient. I am an unrighteous being before a holy, infinite God. And that I need to come before God in repentance. God, I have failed. And ultimately to accept the redemption that he provides. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And you see in those those first eight verses... We're in the process of understanding his corruption before a holy God. It is God through his angels that go to the altar. The place of sacrifice. And bring the result of that sacrifice. And place it on Isaiah's lips. And not only are his lips cleansed. but The passage says all his sins were forgiven. Now we like that about God. But we don't like what follows. Because what God does, beginning in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, is say, beloved, here's how I deal with those who are unwilling to deal with the sin in their lives. Here's how I deal with those who stand before a holy God but will not acknowledge their insufficiency and failure. So when we come to Isaiah chapter 6, we come to understand this, that submitting to God's holiness, understanding his holiness, understanding what that means, that God, yes, is a loving, merciful, kind, gracious, long-suffering God. But he's also righteous. He's also pure. He's also total and complete in his character without stain or corruption. Somehow we have to find a way to understand that God works his holiness to be exposed in our lives and when we choose to reject that god must deal with it now in understanding committing submitting to god's holiness we must acknowledge that accountability to a holy and righteous god is our only hope of stemming evil whether that evil is out there or whether that evil is in here, the standard by which we are held accountable is God's standard of righteousness, God's standard of holiness, God's standard of purity. And that when we fail, we give an account to a holy God for how we have lived in ways that violate his creation. His holiness, his character. If you know me, you know that I'm a bit of a newsaholic. I listen to a lot of news. You cannot listen to the news without being troubled in our world today. We live in a society, we live in a time where we just see an increasing of violence. An increase of corruption. An increase of of, of debauchery. We live in a time where it seems in the last several weeks that almost weekly we're reading about another teenager going into a school and seeking to shoot up those that are there. We read about the corruption that that invades and it invades both the political sphere and the business sphere. We look at the debauchery, the the whole Me Too movement where we're exposing the, the, the entertainment industry and others to the ways that relationships between men and women have been so corrupted and violated. And there, there are many elements to that. But I believe one of those elements, a significant element, is that a, as a people, we have forgotten about a holy God. We have forgotten that our lives are lived under an accountability to a God who is transcendent, who is awesome, who is Righteous who is sovereign, who created us and knows how he created us and what we're meant to be. And yet we have rejected that. We like the idea that God is loving and merciful and kind. And yes, that's all true. But just as we need a loving God, we also need to understand that the God of Scripture is also a holy God to whom we are accountable. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to some of the training that I had received when I was training in in counseling, and we talked about parenting. And one of the things that stuck with me, I remember it, being in class and and hearing it for the first time and thinking, that's really significant. The instructor said, as a parent, you need to understand that when your children make a choice, in that choice is always two questions. One will be more predominant than the other, But these two questions are always there. The first question is this. Do you love me? Do you value me? Do you respect the the person that God has created me to be? Will you demonstrate that love in your interaction with me? Child is always asking that. And as a parent, as a, as a father, I want to scream, yes, that is how I want to love you. But there's another question that children ask. In every activity, there's that question. Can I violate the standards? Can I violate the authority? Can I get my own way? without the consequences. And to that, I want to say, "eh." And so in my interaction with my children, my purpose was not to control their behavior, though at times I greatly wanted to. My purpose was not to manipulate them, though at times, especially grandkids, they're easy to manipulate. But I came to understand that my purpose in interacting with my children was to answer those questions correctly. And do you know what I discovered? They loved it when I answered the question, do you love me? And when I answered that with a resounding yes, they enjoyed that. But you know what else I found out? When I had to address the question, can I get my own way without, my, without the consequences? They didn't like that one so much. They didn't want that one. And yet both were important. Both were essential. If I fail to answer yes to do you love me, I have a discouraged and, and, and troubled and, and hurt and, and pained child. But if I fail to answer the no, I have a rebellious, dangerous, destructive child. My child needs to know me both as loving and as righteous. Beloved, we need both from God. Now, that's not a panacea. It won't solve all of our problems. It won't deal with everything, but we need to understand that God comes into our lives as both. He will love us, and and if we are His children, nothing can separate us from that love. But also, He understands the need for the parameters, for the standards. And he will say, child, I will do what is necessary to keep you from destroying your life. And I do so out of a holy love. When we work our way through Isaiah, understand God is holy and loving, holy and loving. When we get to Isaiah chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, God is saying, I am holy. I expect this of my people, but I am loving. Look what I want them to be. Both are essential. Both are necessary. And it's not only true out there, beloved, it's much more a problem in here and in here. Why is there so much immorality in the church? Why is there so much corruption in the church? Why is there so much of that within the church? Because we fail to understand God is both loving and holy. Or better, God is loving and righteous. All of it is holy. We serve a holy God. And so when we come to Isaiah chapter 6 and we begin to read there the the mission that that God is putting Isaiah on and what he is calling him to do and he says to them I want you to go out but I want you to tell them you're going to hear but you're, you're going to hear the message but you're never going to understand you're going to see but you're not going to comprehend your hearts are hardened and I will allow it to be so until such a time that you finally cry out God Help me. And if in our sinfulness and in our rebellion, we continue to thumb our nose at God, God says, child, I must deal with it. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, is God saying, child, I will deal with it. So what you find is, that in response to what God has done, we must accept that when necessary, God deals with it tolerated and destructive corruption with a severe mercy. When you and I, whether it's as an individual or, or a family or whether it's as a nation or a people or a church, are involved in that which God understands Will destroy us. God will react. You see that the reaction in Isaiah chapter 6. It begins when he says to them. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. What he says is, as a people, they become so indifferent. They had been some, so familiar with the things of God that they no longer valued the message. They no longer valued the declaration of God. They no longer valued the holiness of God. And actually, the more they heard, the harder they became. If you've ever lived with an addict, you know exactly what Isaiah is talking about. If you've ever worked with any of the 12-step programs or with Celebrate Recovery, the people involved will talk about that point when they hit what? bottom. And sometimes as a loving parent, sometimes as a loving spouse, sometimes as a loving friend, you say, I will not intervene. I will allow you to face the consequences of your rebellion. God says, I will bring the discipline in order that you may come to that point where you understand this is destroying me. God says, I will do out of love and holiness what is necessary to keep my children from destroying themselves. In Isaiah, that's what we will read over and over again. God says, I'm holy. He says, I've chosen you as my people. You are my children. You are my representatives. I love you. I have this great purpose for you as a nation but I need to deal with the stuff in your life. And I will. There's a wonderful representation of that in the movie Voyage of the Dawn Treader, my second favorite of the Narnia series. There's a scene in which Eustace, the kind of spoiled, corrupt little boy, He comes across a dragon's hoard of gold, and the dragon is dying. So Eustace picks up the armlet of of one of the gold pieces, and as the dragon dies, he picks it up and he places it on his arm. And he's looking around at all this gold, and he's beginning to think of all the selfish, self-centered things he's going to do with it. And in the process of trying to move it, he falls asleep. And what awakens him is the pain in his arm. Suddenly he realizes that this big bracelet has now suddenly squeezed. And he comes to the point when he realizes the reason is because the dragon-like attitude inside is now on the outside. And he turns into a dragon. You can watch the movie or read the book. And at one point in desperation. Aslan comes to him and says. You're going to have to undress. And Eustace remembers that, that creatures like dragons and snakes can, can shed their skin. And so he begins to peel back the skin. Hoping to get it off of him. Hoping to deal with it. And each time he peels some off, there's just more there. Finally, this happens. Now that was Hollywood's version. I like C.S. Lewis' version better. Eustace says as he's speaking, he says, then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The first hair he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than ever I have ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff he peeled off of me. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a, sco- sc- a scar, it hurts. But it is such fun to see it come off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought it done, I just, I'm sorry, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times. Only they, only they hadn't hurt And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby looking than the others had ever been. He goes on to say, and underneath was the pale skin that God created him to be. Beloved, sometimes God has to cut deep. Sometimes God has to scratch deep. And it is not a fun process. Now, I want to be really careful here. I'm not saying every difficulty that enters our lives is God's, you know, scraping the skin off. That kind of theology is just wrong. That's an overemphasis on the wrongs. But what I am saying is no matter what the circumstances God allows or brings into our lives, if we let him, he will use it to peel off the dragon and to reveal what we're really meant to be. It's something we need to be aware of. For Eustace, it was a once and done thing. That's salvation. But in our walk, it is constant. And so we need to understand that we must pursue God's work of repentance in us before we can minister to others. It's a daily pursuit. It's a monthly pursuit. It's a weekly pursuit. God, see if there be anything within me that needs to be cleansed and dealt with. And God, I am responsive to you. Show me your holiness. Show me your righteousness. Show me my insufficiency. Show me my corruption. Show me my bentness. And whatever it takes, even if you have to cut to my heart, I understand that your work of purification is so important to keep me from being destructive and rebellious in my life. And it begins with us. When Fred was leading, he read these words. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Here's the problem with that phrase. We misunderstand it. We think it means just this. To just remember, to bring it to mind. But the word in scripture, the word remember, never means just bring it to mind. Sometimes it says that God remembered. Did he forget it? He'd go like, oh man, I forgot that one. What it means is he brings to his attention for the purpose of acting, of changing Of doing something. Why do we remember to praise God for what he did? Yes. To celebrate and rejoice in the love that God has shown us? Yes. But also we remember so that it will change who we are. And as a result of this time, we leave here with a greater reflection of the holiness and righteousness and justice and kindness and love of God. It's not just an act of the mind. It's an act of the will. And as believers, do we have a God who is loving and merciful and kind and long-suffering and all of those things? Yes. But he is also righteous. He is also holy. And he will work in us the work he must do. In order that we might be his people. That we might represent him in the lives that we live. That we might live a life of worship in all that we do. Father, thank you for the example given to us in Isaiah 6. May we be those who live it out in our lives May we be those who are willing to, yes, accept your mercy and your kindness and your love and forgiveness and the absence of condemnation that comes in our relationship with Christ. But may we also be those who seek to allow you to be and to work your holiness in our lives. Father, we are to be holy because you are holy. Father, we also understand that there may be some who aren't certain of that relationship and Father, they don't know of your love and forgiveness and kindness. And we invite anyone to come and speak to me or someone to know that certainty. For all of us, may we understand that we serve a holy God. And may we do that which creates in us a greater representation of that holiness in all that we do. Amen.